I'm Derek Thompson, the host of the podcast, Plain English. We tackle technology, politics, culture, history, everything that's happening in the world and why it matters. New episodes of Plain English drop every Tuesday and Friday on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Kwanga. I'm Ryan Hun. Ryan, how are you doing? I am all right, thanks, man. A little bit under the weather, but how are you? Listen, I'm rolling into the new year with joy. I'm good. <laughs> Happy New Year. Vibing on all cylinders. Yes, yes. Uh, did you have a good bit of a mini break? It was joyful. It was really joyful. Um, sleep patterns absolutely nuked by the World Cup. Uh, so those are trying to trying to return those to normal. <laughs> But a really lovely uh, new year, uh, just hanging out with good friends, some good food, a bit of a dance. Yes. Oh. yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a bit of a dance. Listen, listen the old soft shuffle. Oh. Old dog still got it. <laughs> wow. Should we do some admin first before we start chit-chatting? Because obviously it's the first yeah, show of yeah, the year. Is. And uh, you're going to be on Righty's house tomorrow, Friday. Because there's some news coming out from Wrighty's house that we can neither confirm nor deny. So you'll have to wait for Wrighty's house on Friday That's right. to hear it. Dun, dun, dun. Such a good You'll be joining Flo and you're going to chat uh, about Pele and yes. a load of other stuff. So yeah, make sure if you haven't subscribed to Wrighty's house yet since the feed split, Search for Righty's House on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're doing that, go and obviously subscribe to Flo's new show, Counterpressed, as well. Mm. Go and subscribe to them all. Um, other bits of admin, theringer.com forward slash soccer, and just theringer.com in general. Some great stuff going up on The Ringer. Um, I've been going back and listening to some of the old Prestige TV episodes and The Watch because I always do this. Whenever there's a series that comes out in the States... <sighs> 
usually I like to watch it a little bit legit. I like to watch it on my TV, right? In as high definition as I can. So I, usually we have to wait ages for them to arrive legitimately over here. So I finally watched The Bear over Christmas. Oh, wow. And, wow. Uh, and then went back and listened yeah. to The Watch episodes and the Prestige TV episode about it, which was great. And I also watched the final season of Atlanta. Did the same thing with uh, Van and Charles. Did a great job of breaking down Atlanta on Prestige TV podcast. So go and search for that. It's a great show. But I binged The Bear and then binged it again. I did it twice. I did two, two binge watches of The Bear. Such a good show. Unbelievable. It's genuinely amazing. Yeah. Here I was watching my little anime series. <laughs> hey. Well, you'd already seen The Bear though, because I was late to it. So That's true. Yeah, anyone was, in America I... listening to this is just like, dude, that wrapped in like July. Why are you talking about this now? <laughs> did you watch anything else? Or are you going to save it for Righty? You're going to talk to Righty about it? I think it? I'll say, I'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's a fair bit of stuff. I mean, a lot of it was just, I'm such a mixed bag. I mean, I spent a lot of my time watching like sports podcasts, you know, lots of NBA podcasts. I got really into the NBA. I've always been into it for years. I've been into basketball, but this particular stretch of the NBA is, is the golden age, actually. It's been so good. Everyone, everyone's just gone off. Everyone's just on one. It's amazing. Everyone is on one. So Moose has been watching anime and NBA podcasts on YouTube. <laughs> a teenager. <laughs> Amazing. That's such, such a teenager. Um, yeah, God, I, I, I want to I talk about the bear, but I can't because it's too late and we do a football podcast. I know what you mean. But God, I love that it's show. So good. Do you know what else I watched this week? Some awesome football matches and some dreadful some football, football oh matches. Gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I did my best to actually be like, no, I'm off. I'm not watching any games live until mm. this date. And then uh, I started back up this week and caught up with things that I've missed. We've got a lot to talk about. We do, we do. One thing we should definitely talk about before we get onto this week's football and stuff is Pele, who yes. sadly passed away while we were off air. You, Flo, and Ian are going to do a big bit on Wrighty's house about this on Friday. Mm. But um, he'd obviously been unwell for a while. Um, and you did a couple of bits on Pele while we were off, right? Yeah, 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 that's right. Um, um, most recently did a Sky, Sky News, actually, during the halftime of the Arsenal-Newcastle uh, game. I'm trying to get a clip of it, actually, sent over so I can upload it and share it with those who didn't see it. Um, but yeah, it was just a section about Pele's legacy as an international black superstar mm. at a time when a lot of African and Caribbean nations still weren't independent. Um, and only 70 years after slavery was officially ended in Brazil, although the effects are still visible in Brazil today, to be honest. Mm. Um, so yeah, I did a piece on that really. And it was great to have a platform to speak about someone who meant so much to so many people. So many people, yeah. And we did that episode when Maradona passed away, mm. um, which felt that, which was obviously a lot more sudden, even though he'd been a little bit unwell as well, I believe. Um, mm. But there's something very strange when icons pass away mm. for people of a certain age they've always existed and it's it's something yes. you and i've had conversations about i think a few times on this podcast whether it be film sport music whatever there is that there is that and the thing about pele is pele had a very long retirement yeah like if you think of like um muhammad ali muhammad ali had that physical decline he went through hell with the parkinson's and so his decline there was a tragedy attached to it 
Maradona died at 60. There was a tragedy attached to it. Pele basically had a long, peaceful, and ultimately, you know, quite wealthy retirement. Um, mm. And he really did the rounds. Like he was around so much. He kind of was like a touring monarch. He was around a lot. Pele went to all those events. He was always there. The strange thing for him was, and I'll say this on, on, on Wrighty's House as well, so I won't dwell on it too much now, is the thing about Pele is Pele was almost great too early. Mm. If you think Pele became great at the age of 17 and remained great, most of the footballers either become great a bit later or it's like Luka Modric, for example, who was very good and then became great and then just stayed great. Or like Mbappe, they have a breakout, which is incredible, which takes them to a place of legend and then they fall to them, they return to it. Because Pele was just basically incredible straight out the gate, his tragedy was almost that he became the yardstick, right? Mm. People stopped judging him as a human because his, his, uh, his feats were so otherworldly. He was almost like a Billie Jean King where he was just incredible. Or like, a, actually, he was more like a Steffi Graf. Mm. Steffi Graf was just incredible for so long on all surfaces that it was almost the thing where people couldn't fully relate to it. And the way people talk about Steffi Graf now, there's a bit of detachment there. Mm. Even though Steffi Graf was like one everything. And I think as human beings, we're actually unable to process, we're unable to process fully, I think, like complete, uniform, consistent excellence. Because mm. most of us will never achieve or relate to that in our daily lives, professional lives, whatever. So Pele was almost a victim of that, I think. Um, and it was quite funny to see the tributes because from footballers, mm. it's really striking. Because all the old quotes from Cruyff came up, but you also had the younger generation like Erling Haaland coming out and just being like, mm. everything you've seen a great footballer do or footballer do, Pele did it first. This is the thing about Pele, which I, I think is, is probably why he almost exists. He almost existed in his, or exists in his own little kind of like micro solar system, in the sense that, yes. like, because it it was, um, it's almost too mythical. Yes, you know, yes, playing his entire career at Santos and then obviously New York Cosmos, um, winning those World Cups. Whether he was the greatest of all time or not, it doesn't kind of really matter. I think it's just it will always be. He will always be the plus one to whoever people think. If they don't think it's him, whoever people think is the greatest of all time, it will always be plus Pele, I think. Yeah. And what was good for him was, I think he was always in the conversation. I think yeah. in serious football conversations, you know, Messi, Maradona was a thing. But I think if you look globally, right, if you look globally at Pele, he never left the conversation. If mm. I look at like, for example, my family, like obviously Ugandans or Africans, if I look at like Caribbean, if I look at like you look at like India, China, like where Pele's legend really penetrated. Messi Maradona is not, Messi Maradona or Messi Ronaldo, like, no, Pele is still relevant. Mm. Like globally, Pele was globally relevant and always was part of that conversation. He just never left it. It's like um, when Bowie or Prince died, mm. no one's elbowing, nobody is, nobody is elbowing aside Prince or Bowie in any conversation about greatness. Mm. Pele was just there. Was like, oh yeah, yeah, him too. Yeah, he's always in it. Like he was always in everyone's top five. And the thing with Pele is Pele always got to, I think, you know, he died at the age of 82 and he died, I think, knowing that he was always part of that conversation. Yeah. Whenever it came up, it was like, oh, is he better than Pele? And Pele would get, you know, every now and again, he'd be like, I think he'd get a bit cranky because he was like, man, I, I cleaned up. I, I cooked everyone. <laughs> I cooked. <laughs> well, it's, like they was, it's like the crowd were chanting at his uh, funeral, like only Pele thousand goals. Look at Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yeah. 
Kumail Dojabar won in college. He won in the NBA and he's the record point scorer still. And Kareem's name with the modern era doesn't always come up, but it's one of those things where when someone like that dies, when someone like Pele dies, everyone kind of fixes up and goes, actually, yeah, we, <laughs> we were kind of being a bit, we were kind of like uh, falling a bit prey to recency bias. But yeah. Rest in peace, Pele. And, um, Rest in peace. Yeah, man. What a life. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, man, so on to other news stuff. Mm. Um, a wild, wild story that I think we should cover very quickly from oh my goodness, the US. Yeah. This is... Oh. Wow. So, uh, US men's national team coach Greg Berhalter issued a statement on a um, domestic violence incident a couple of days yeah. ago. Uh, it was a joint statement along with his wife, Rosalind, and it details an account on their early days of dating, I think in 1991, where they mm. were basically an incident where I'll, I'll summarize. Yes. They were um, 18 years old. They were at a bar. They, had a, they, were, they were out drinking. They had a heated argument. And um, it says that he kicked her in the legs. Um, he doesn't try to offer any explanation or excuse for the behavior in the statement. After that, it said that they actually went their separate ways for a little while before finding their way back and, and um, getting back together. They've been married for, I believe, 25 years now and mm. have kids and, and you know, he's, in the statement it says that the, the, the behavior has never been repeated. Um, and this seemed a little bit odd because basically it alleged that there was essentially an individual or individuals who had threatened to take this information to the US Soccer, Soccer Federation or US Soccer to essentially kind of try and get Berhalter out of there. 24 hours later, and the headline in The Athletic says, Gio Reyna's mother reported incident involving Greg Berhalter and wife to US soccer. So it turns out that Danielle Reyna, who was a roommate and soccer teammate of Rosalind Berhalter at UNC, basically had a conversation with Ernie Stewart, who's a US soccer sporting, who's the US soccer sporting director, on December 11th, and that conversation, along with, I think, Claudio Reyna as well, basically that's, that, those conversations prompted the investigation. Mm. Bleak in so many ways. It it's is bleak, bleak in so, so many, many ways. ways. Rosalind Berhalter having this incident, who, which was very, very private, was a long, long time ago, and something that obviously she and Greg have dealt, dealt with. Something which put their, obviously, relationship under horrific pressure, as came out in the statement. Something which she had to navigate. And has now been dragged um, into the public for, and like 31 years later, which is just. By someone they knew, by someone they knew well. Yeah. And who held that, who held onto that for years. This is the bleak thing about it. If that was really a piece of information, you know, it was a piece of information that was released in such a vindictive and vengeful way and it had been held onto for a very long time. 
This wasn't information that was released in order to help people who'd experienced that kind of assault or to educate. It, 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 was, it, was done, it was done out of spite from someone that she knew she had known for many, many years. And obviously, you know, that, that, that is going to destroy any relationship they had. But also in terms of, so it's horrific for Rosalind uh, Bahalta. And actually, this is the thing about this, this move by the Rainers. It's made everything even worse for, not that, it, not that football matters at this point. And also, if we are also discussing football, the footballing effects, because I don't want to trivialize mm. this incident. It's actually made things even worse for Gio Reyna and for the US men's national team because Greg Berhalter, in my opinion, is not necessarily someone that will take this squad to the next level, in my opinion, right? But this action, in a funny way, has kind of solidified maybe his position. It may have done, well, we, we don't know yet what the fallout will be, but it's, it's, bad, for, it's bad for the US, um, for US soccer in, in so many ways because he keeps the job, then the, the hand has been forced. He leaves the job. The hand's been forced. Do they pick Joe Reyna? Do they not? They should pick him because he's not standing talent and he shouldn't be held accountable for the sins of the father um, or, or what the mother might have done or been involved in. But it just creates, the, the mood is just awful. If you think about the best of what the US produced at this World Cup, mm. this all now gets overshadowed. This all now gets overshadowed. And it's just, it's a disaster on all fronts. And the, the smallest part of it at all is that it looks, it's so childish. Yeah, and it really is. It was, it was sad to see that, to be honest. I mean, I hope that it gets resolved. Um, yeah, yeah. However, however that, yeah. However I mean, I don't, that's just, that just sounds like a decades long, like decades long friendships have just been. Ruptured. Yeah. Awful. Oh man. Well, should we catch up on? I mean, the Premier League's not exactly behaving itself. Oh yeah, the Premier League. Probably the best game actually was Leeds to West Ham to West Ham obviously playing hours after the news came out that their co-chairman David Gold had passed away. Um, yeah. So thoughts to everyone who affected by that, his friends and family and anyone at the club. And they played yeah. pretty well, I actually thought West Ham, depending, mm. uh, despite uh, David Moyes not being too happy with them. Uh, the Pakatar penalty and the Skamaka goal just after half time. The Skamaka that goal was a great. gorgeous finish by so Skamaka. Good. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I thought Leeds were pretty good as well. And I think yeah. we're going to use a couple of questions to maybe go through some stuff. But I think we had a question on Leeds. Ah, it's from Javier Lopez. I want to know you guys take on Leeds United because they have had an up and down season. I mean, they have, but also I feel that this is a, this is kind of, it's kind of what Jesse Marsh teams do. Mm. I think Jesse Marsh is quite a, I don't know, his post-match interviews, sometimes I, I feel like, ah, oh, I get why your team played that way now. Do you know what I mean? Like, because you know how like, he's, hmm, they're quite an emotional team, Leeds. He makes hard work. Every time like, I see every, Jesse Marsh, put it this way, every, you know what, in fact, in fact sorry, to, sorry to cut in, but like, Every Leeds game is kind of like an episode of the Bear, and that afterwards you're you're exhausted. Whatever happened? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Do you know what actually it takes it out? Leeds of you. are the closest thing. They're the closest thing to Chile at the 2014 World Cup, <laughs> where you sort of say, "Wow, Chile are so intense." You're like, they find themselves exhausting. 
Like even Chile, when the, when the dressing room door is shut, they look at each other and they're like, lads, this is a lot. We are a lot. Yeah. We are, you know, like. <laughs> Sorry, can we just, on, on the Chile thing, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go all over the place quick, but like former manager, Sam Pauli being sent off by Leos. Oh my God. Oh my God. In the Copa del Rey last night. Incredible. Right. Anyway. There's a lot going on there. I mean, there's a lot going on. Laos going to Laos. And he also had a, a, let's say, an existential Catalan derby the other day as well. He did. <laughs> anyway, I will say this. Look, if it, we've said many times on Stadio, quoting Simeone, think the suffering is necessary. Yeah, but I think it's Jesse not Marsh, actually that, it's not always that No, but they, they are, they are, Leeds are the most, they are the most suffering as necessary team in the Premier League, I would say. Do you think? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> yes. Yeah, maybe they are. Yeah. They really, they're always trying to feel something. They're always trying to feel something. They are. And, and they're in this curious position, Leeds, because they're 14th. But they're only two points outside the relegation zone. Yeah, I don't feel mm. that they'll be in any danger of going down. I just think they're too good. Well, they're that thing. It's awful to say this, and it was maybe patronising to say this, but I'll go ahead and do it because I've started the sentence. They're the onions in the gravy. Like, you need them. Like, they, they improve everything. Like, every contest, the individual Premier League matches they're involved in, and the Premier League as a whole, is better for their presence because they bring that level of intensity that you've always been in a game with them. You've always been in a game with them. You're always, you, know, you watch a Leeds game and you always see something a bit different. Whether it's the way they play out from the back, or the way they press, or the way they attack, counter-attack, or leave spaces open. The thing about Leeds is they've given teams a go at them. You know, mm. Steve McManaman said a while ago about the thing about playing in the Premier League was so interesting was that you had so much time on the ball because teams have the way they want to play. It was in the championship, everyone's at your neck. Um, the speed of thought gets faster and faster and Leeds have been a key part, I think, of the, the modernization is a bit strong, but the development of the Premier League, they've been a big, they won't get any trophies for that, any medals for that, maybe even recognition for that a few years from now. What, what Leeds have contributed to the Premier League is so specific and important. I hope they hang around for a while, actually. Mm. Yeah, me too. I think they're just... Um... I've watched so many Leeds games that I've just had been really entertained by. I think they've probably been one of the most entertaining neutrals. Like Leeds, Fulham, Brighton this season. Yeah. Haven't I said this? Leeds should play every Saturday evening. Of course, like, you know, travel permitting for away fans. But like, wherever possible, Leeds should play as late as possible for away fans' convenience on a Saturday because they always, always cheered me up. Like watching them on a Saturday evening, I was guaranteed to go to bed happy because they'd always produce something like a spectacle. Um, yeah, so they're yeah, a I different side than they were under Bielsa. Um, I yeah, think yeah, they, they are, are they more, are. I feel like even though they were, they were, they were on the end of some hammerings under Bielsa, but when they were on, it was very much like they clicked. With this Leeds, I think there's a little bit more of, um, what's the word I want to say? Like, it's almost like emotionally driven randomness. Which yeah means like chaos, a, it sounds it sounds yeah I mean emotional chaos is oh my god what a band name oh my god yes uh, and that sounds like I'm doing Jesse Marsh a disservice I'm not at all I think that he he's obviously quite an emotional coach he's admitted to being an emotional coach himself but like you know in the in in the post match interview of this game he was talking about how like you know I want to be in these matches and I want to be playing David Moyes and you know I've watched David Moyes for a while and all this kind of stuff it's like whoa Jesse bro you're here. Like, yeah. don't worry. You're not on like a visitor's pass. You're here. Start dishing out some hammerings a bit because... And to be honest, even David Moyes right now... Like, he's... Str I mean, to be honest, I've actually been quite impressed really with how, how calm David Moyes has been in the aftermath of some of the results they've had recently. 
he didn't really make any excuses, especially the other day. And he was, he was like, yeah, I totally understand the, you know, the kind of the frustration and all this. But actually I've been pleasantly surprised with how, from what I've seen, he's been dealing with some of West Ham's results recently. But, you know, they're, they're level on points with Everton, who are obviously in crisis mode after the defeat to Brighton, who, yeah, I don't want to make this about Arsenal, but it shows just how good that result for Arsenal was against Brighton the other day, because Brighton are legit. We've t- we said this all season, <laughs> but like... They won the World Cup, didn't they? they? They did. I mean, they absolutely torched Everton. Um but there was one of, I think it was Pascal, it was Pascal Gross's goal, wasn't it? The one that had the uh, just a kind of gay back pass. Uh, back pass, yeah. yeah. But just that whole sequence of events was just such so painful to watch from Ever- an Everton point of view. But for Brighton, they're just mega. Idrissa Gay's last, last 12 months has been a journey. You talk about that. Uh, winning yeah. AFCON, winning yeah. AFCON, playing with Messi and then playing that back pass. And we talk about record scratch moments. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, um, but look, can I say as well? Brighton did win the World Cup because every single one of their players balled out in Qatar. What Estupinan, Matoma, McAllister. That be- shout out to Brighton as well. Very quickly, that beautiful video of McAllister returning to Brighton. Oh, that was li- that was nice, and everyone celebrating him. Oh, that's so lovely. It's so lovely. Are we worried about Frank? Yes. Or are, are we? Can I say this for him, actually, to his credit? And I said this in the, um, I was talking to Carl about this, um, Carl Anker. Frank Lampard, not, just simply not talking his team down, has bought him a bit of time, I think. Mm. Just getting on with it, talking his players up, keeping the mood at a good level, because you need people with you for the relegation battle, and they might be in that conversation come into the season because the results have not been good. This loss, it's not just the, the loss, but the manner of it was was concerning. And Everton can have another real fight on their hands, actually. Another real fight. Yeah, it's way bigger than Frank Lampard, this thing. You see, you see the amount of money that they've spent and who they've spent it on under Mashiri, and it's just not particularly great. The only one that rivals a bit of an eek thing is probably some of the Manchester United transfer business over the last however long. Mm. Um, and I hate to say it, it's going to sound brutal, but if you look at like, Brighton's hire of De Zerbi, which looks more inspired with every passing oh week. I mean, we loved it when it happened. I mean, we love it. We yeah. abs- is it, was it possible say, to love was it, it like more? Brighton on acid? <laughs> and like, this, you know, there's been a couple of ropey turns on this trip, but overall the trip is very good. Yeah, I mean, my goodness. They- They're just so good. We have another question about someone else who are pretty good. Mira last said, uh, it's last Mira on Twitter who says, would love to hear your take on Fulham. They've had a great season so far, but not a lot of attention. What's Marco Silva getting right for them and what could other clubs learn from them? What's he not getting right? Oh, Mitrovic can't score. That's done. 11 goals in the Premier League. So he's, he's clocking it. Bring in Willian just for that experience at a level where it's not as stressful, much pressure as playing for an Arsenal or Chelsea, you know, for Arsenal where the scrutiny is just wild. So you've taken him from a title race and obviously went away back to Brazil to come back. And in a team where he has seniority, he has respect, he could just play his game under the radar and Fulham just motoring really nicely. Mm. And this is the thing, like, shout out to teams that come up to the Premier League and keep playing their football. Because we said, this, we saw it with Leeds, Leeds came up and they had that 4-3 loss to Liverpool in the first game. 
and they really showed what they were about. Fulham coming up again, big game against Liverpool, I think two will draw early on and really just going out teams. And there's a real, there's something to be said for teams that come up to the Premier League and keep playing their football, keep playing on the front foot. Fulham turned up and you talked about acting like you deserve to be there. Fulham turned up in the Premier League from day one, acting like they belonged there. They were outstanding in the championship. They were blowing teams away. And of course, it's not as easy to do that in the Premier League, but they won three on the bounce. And they play with confidence and swagger. And that's why they're like up where they are on the table. It's just, it's been so impressive. They, they, they do that thing where you actually look at like their goals, goals scored and goals conceded. And it's like, I think it's 30 and 27. Hmm. And they remind me a little bit of like Kike Setien's Betis at some points under Setien. Oh, where like they don't really have a, a singular trait that is they're super strong in. So they're not super tight at the back, but they can cle- clean clean sheet, uh, keep clean sheets. And they're not absolutely unbelievable in front of goal, but they can score goals, right? Basically, they struggle to be elite in front of goal while also being elite defensively. But they have had those moments this season, like the Palace game. Um, who else did they beat? Villa at home. You know, like they've had a couple of, 3-0 wins like that but then the rest of them has been a lot of like you know they, they beat uh, beat Brentford 3-2 or you know there was a goal in it either way or they beat Forest 3-2 away you know they lost 4-1 at home to Newcastle so there's this like it's just more about edging themselves up the up the league gradually because the thing with them is the I technical think, level is so outstanding like, like Palinia players like that well yeah they I was really say, have like, an emphasis on, on technique yeah yeah that's the yeah, thing. I was going to say they've learned their lesson compared to the last time they came up when they spent all of these this money on all of these players that you were just a bit like this is a bit this is not gonna I, I don't know this this sounds amazing on paper but how is this going to work in practice it's just don't shop for work. survival don't shop for survival shop for shop as if you're going to flourish I think that's the well, key or recruit as if we're going to flourish, yeah. Yeah, well, I actually think that the the recruitment the first time around was a little bit reckless. It was too reckless. This time they've mm. been super smart, like in terms of they've got some really, really good loan deals in, like Shane Duffy, like Willian coming in on a free, Dan James coming in from Leeds. They're really, really smart loan signings with a couple of major pieces like Paulinha and Issa Diop. But then mm. Burnt Lane over three, what, like a few, like a few million? Kevin and Babu for really, really reasonable transfer fee yeah Andres Pereira do you know what I mean like they've just they've signed these they've signed pretty smart this time whereas last time I think they signed really reckless and they spent a load of money and it was just a bit of a mess yeah. um, but also it's just really nice to see Marco Silva constantly being interviewed after games without that like do you remember it, it, he just looked so sad where yeah. we were we, we, when he was I think, I think it was at Everton it was just like man like I can't deal with sad Sad eyes, Marco Silver anymore. It's too heartbreaking. And well, because he lost his aura a lot. He came. He came. He really did. Yeah, like Vs Boas type thing. You come with a huge reputation, and people really enjoy tearing down a manager that comes from abroad. They just do. Mm. It's a thing that happens. You know, whether it's a player from abroad, a manager from abroad, and it's an element of like you can't hack the Premier League. And he really, his rubber hit the road fast. Mm. Um, And so to to see him having this kind of. um, this renaissance is is a really lovely thing. Yeah, because no I one's going to question yeah. his no no one questions his quality now. I think. But yeah, Fulham with a great win over Leicester one nil. Uh, do you want to talk about Man United quick? Because they've put they're putting together a nice little run, and they're only nine. They played a game. I don't know, they're only nine points off the top spot. Listen, the hire of Casemiro is looking more and more inspired with every passing week. 
And I say that as someone that did not think United were going to get him, I wasn't sure how good he'd be when he arrived. He's been even better than, I think, even the most optimistic people could have hoped. You know, he had a slightly slow start, but coming to his own so well. Yeah, coming to his own so well. Eric Ten Hag and like, talk about someone ruling the roost. The man had a face-off with Cristiano Ronaldo and won. He won it. Like, you know, and then, you know, had some really adverse results. Terrible loss to Brentford, was a laughing stock. And look at United now and mm-hmm. the way they're playing. Look how Rashford is playing. Rashford goes to the World Cup and was lights out. Came back, was late um, for, I think, a, um, for a video session or a meeting, a team meeting. Gets dropped to the bench by Ten Hag. Ten Hag explains that. Comes back and onto the bench, comes off the bench. Scores the win against Wolves. Scores again. I think he's scored in four straight now. He's playing outstanding football. Is looking like one of the best wide forwards, young wide forwards in world football. Looking like he could develop into one of the best nines in world football mm-hmm. if that's where he ends up wanting to play. And that's Eric Ten Hag. And Luke Shaw is looking wonderful as playing as a centre-back when needed. Bruno Fernandes is happy. Like, Eric Ten Hag has got everyone buying into what he's doing. And it's so impressive. That Ronaldo move is going to be so good for them in the long term. So good because it's just, it's just noise they didn't need. And he clocked it. He clocked it. Yeah. yeah, I think resolving that situation promptly and only a few months into the Ten Hag um, managerial career at United or stint at United, that's going to be so good for them. It could have been so different if Ronaldo was happy to accept a certain role that he obviously just wasn't. And right, you know, and actually, I think. Yeah, he's getting paid a lot of money, but it's not what he, it's not the outcome that he said that he wanted when he was making all that noise. So, but for Manchester United, I think it just frees them up so much. We've seen it happen yeah. before with with high profile, um, out of favour, slightly disruptive players at certain clubs and you move them on and you get prepared, to, you're prepared to take a hit on them and it just frees up the rest of the squad because everyone just buys in. and. And Manchester United should yeah. be looking now for a Champions League spot. They should be absolutely aiming for that. Yeah, uh, the, the title is a in, in such. This is this is such a wild season. Yeah, we just don't they know. Should I mean, be I looking, don't, yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, I don't know, man. Honestly, played, I think there's a lot of talk about Arsenal, but still, we're not even halfway through the season yet. That, that thank you. Point, it feels like it feels like we played like no it feels problem. like we played twenty four games and they played less than half, just because there's been so much incident. Mm. All these teams are going to drop more points. Like I don't see these teams going on massive runs into the season, even though like Julian Alvarez had a lights out World Cup. I still see City dropping points here and there just because the rest of the teams are so good. Mm. Everyone's bringing it. Everyone, every week. Arsenal beat Brighton 4-2. Like that result. Yeah, that was a big win for Arsenal. (laughs) It is unbelievable. Uh, Like the margin, four goals at Brighton. Mm-hmm. Well, let's quickly sh- shout out some another team before we talk about Arsenal who scored four goals, and that was Spurs against Palace, who, like, Spurs, again, not great in the first half. I think Palace, looking back on this, really should, should have capitalised on a couple of those chances they had in the first half, and it could have been a very different game. Um, right. But that five minutes uh, spell in the second half where Kane gets two, just, yeah. that's it for so Spurs, So easy. Really. Like, the his second was, goal the second was goal. so good. So good. Like, He's he I I'm I'm impressed as, uh, actually how how sharp he's looking because 
But vintage Klinsmann or something. So clean. Yeah. The most goals after 300 Premier League games. Uh, he beat Shearer's record by two. Yeah, yeah. So in the 300 Premier League games, he's got 198 goals now. I think Shearer's was 196. 198. Jeez. That's wild. That's two goals in three, every three games. Bizarre. That's bizarre. Um, so yeah, Conte looked a lot, <laughs> a, lot a lot chirpier than he did the other day. Um, but they still need, I think they still need a couple at this January. If they could, if they could, they could have a January window like they did last January. I think Spurs will be wicked. Um, or I mean, but who else? For that whoever has, four. whoever has a window like that. I mean, like that was such a otherworldly bit of mm. recruitment. I have to say, yeah. still, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Villa won. Uh, I nearly said Valencia. Uh, Villa won. Wolves won in uh, the the derby between. Was it first ever time? that two managers have coached in the Premier League and opposing managers have coached in the Premier League and Premier League in the same season. Wow. That was the, that's yes, a wild that's, start. Oh, I love it's that. It's unbelievable. I love, I oh, love, I love, I love that. that. That's so great. I love that. Um, yeah, Leon Bailey had that, this weird thing about missing a chance at the end that wasn't even that easy a chance. I was, I was like, wow, well, that was, I don't know why, I, I, was, I was a bit confused by that. I'm not going to lie because didn't he go with it? Didn't he go? Yeah, yeah. Don't worry, Leon. Don't worry about it. That was a that wasn't that wasn't as easy as maybe you thought it was. I don't think. Also, so. Villa's direction of travel is fine. Yeah, you can see fine. what they're trying to do. There's a plan there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, Forest out of the bottom three with a, uh, a win over Southampton. Southampton in trouble, man. I really I'm worried about Southampton big time. We actually had a, a question about Southampton. It was uh, from Trigvi Christensen who said, you're parachuting in as sporting directors of Southampton. How do you approach a window like this with a new and already under fire manager and with a squad in need of rejuvenation and time? I think what's worrying about Southampton is that even when they were struggling under Ralph, they was, I saw them as a progressive football team and they're in a position now where they have to be pragmatic. And that should, but the problem is they, when I've seen them this season, admittedly, I haven't watched every single Southampton game in its entirety. But the ones that I have watched, I've been really struck by how uh, how lacking in structure that they are. Because even when they weren't at their absolute best under Ralph, you could kind of tell. I mean, there were there were moments when it wobbled so far, you were a bit like, "Whoa, what's going on?" But we've talked about Southampton a little bit over the f- last few years, and they've they've been a really hard team to figure out because they've at times they've looked fucking unbelievable. Mm. And then you watch them three weeks later and you're like, well, what happened? It was like, uh, you know, you know, in light year where he does the hype, he goes, does does the loop around the thing and he comes back and it's actually four years. But it was, it was, it was four minutes. I was just like, whoa, hang on a minute. What's going on? Hang on. What? How long was I gone? Like I watched you guys a couple of weeks ago and you were really good. <laughs> it's exactly, that's what I feel. It's that's exactly. what I feel like watching Southampton's been like over the last maybe eighteen months. So I mean, it, it, yeah. what I would do, uh, to be honest, I don't think the uh, put it this way, I don't think the hire of Nathan Jones was a great one anyway. Personally, for the current situation, I think getting someone until the end of the season who would have based, who would, who's maybe had experience in these situations, wouldn't have been particularly fun or pretty for Southampton but it might have been a necessity. It's a priority of survival, yeah, yeah. And it is. Like, now the priority is survival. And I think they could probably be quite smart in picking up some decent loans 
that might shore things up a little bit for them and maybe players who have been there and done it they just re- it doesn't matter how, what it looks like they just need to make sure that they stay in the league because yeah, because there's been a lot of changes the, the, there. The championship has, look, the Premier League is the big dance and the championship has always been fiercely competitive. It is absolutely like the Whitewater Rapids right now, the championship, mm. because it's, you have teams that are playing fast, intense attacking football. I mean, shout out to Burnley and Vincent Company, the job he's doing there. You go down as Southampton, there's just no guarantee you're coming back up. You, no guarantee you're coming top six if you go down at this point, because those teams are... They're showing sharp teeth, all those teams in the championship. So Southampton to survive, oh, yeah, yeah. it's you don't want to it's, go. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fucking tough league to come out of. Brutal, um, brutal. So yeah, I would, I would go for a couple of maybe very shrewd, smart loan moves, or if you can pick someone up long term, like just solid. I think solid, but experienced. Yeah, I mean, even someone like you look at like. Jamal Lascelles, right, who, who was the amazing thing that Flo said, he's been booked twice this season and was on the pitch for neither of them. Mm. But like, I'm not sure if like Newcastle would let him go, but if you get someone like that, maybe, or... It'd be controversial. Know, some, Look at some of the players that Forrest, you know, Forrest had a big turnover. Get yeah. some of those players. If Emmanuel Dennis is like available and looks like he might be, someone like that, actually. I think that some of those players just see who they can flip because, you know, obviously like Forrest had the big turnover. You've got quality. Maybe there's some, maybe there's some quality there in that camp. I don't know. Like mm. it's just, it's. it's a, I have a lot of sympathy. It's really, I have a really lot tough. of sympathy. Yeah. But there's there's always one team. We always said the Premier League. There's always one team that kind of has a bit of a free fall moment. The mm. only consolation for Southampton is it's still very early in the season. Mm. The World Cup has distorted so much of our perception. Of this of the season it feels longer than it is but it's really it's going to take good. a while to get back into it I think and, but props yeah. to Forrest uh, out of the yeah, bottom three now for them. and um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I saw when Brennan Johnson hit the bar I think I'd, just before the game I'd seen that stat about how many shots Forrest had had in like the last four games and what their XG was and how many goals they'd scored and then when I saw Brennan Johnson hit the bar I was just like oh, oh no it's going to be one of those because he should have scored to be yeah. honest but then yeah, yeah. Uh, he set up uh, Awani for a tap-in, which was a lovely goal. Um, that's the that's all of Wednesday's games. Tuesday's games, uh, we've talked about all of them, apart from Arsenal-Newcastle. 0-0 at the Emirates. Not a, not a fun game of football to watch. In fact, quite an annoying game of football. I think the ball was only in mm. play for a grand total of something like 43 minutes. Felt um, like it. If this, if this game had been playing at the World Cup, there would have been about 17 minutes stoppage time at the end of the game. Oh, without because, doubt. Without doubt. Oof, I don't know, man. Yeah, this was not a fun game. Uh, I think, uh, stepping back from it, I think one of those, Arsenal probably should have had one penalty. I don't think they should have had the second. They probably, I think they definitely should have had one. I think the second one would have been harsh, the handball, but the, the, the tug from Dan Byrne on, the Gabriel, I think. I think that's a penalty. I uh, I'm not really sure why it wasn't given, but it was a strange game, I thought, because I thought Arsenal, at first, Newcastle were pressing really, really well and Arsenal did really well to mm. escape it and then kind of clicked into gear. But Newcastle did this really smart thing where they just packed the midfield, made it really difficult for Arsenal to find like passes that broke through the lines. And also when, they, when the ball went wide to either Martinelli or Saka, every single time Multiple there was coverage. at least two men, yeah. So they defended really well. Can I say, actually, it's funny, I was watching... Inter against Napoli, huge win actually for Inter. Napoli's first defeat this season in Serie A. But what I would say is, 
Inter and Newcastle actually had some very similar elements. Yeah. The way that it was so difficult. So Zielinski trying to pass the lines against um, Inter remind me of, of Odegaard's attempts to pass the lines against Newcastle. There were no gaps. They weren't hammering through the gaps. And the way that Quaritzkalia got handled by um, Inter's defenders was similar to what Martinelli did. You saw double, triple coverage sometimes mm. pulling out to the left flank and they just knew. Like he is obviously, and this is a credit to Martinelli, Martinelli's become so dangerous now. It's a bit like when Martial broke through that he's getting mm. the respect of like one man tight on him. It's a bit like Kevin Durant in the NBA. Like it's not that he's attacking without guile. Actually, Martinelli, when he had space, he delivered some dangerous well, opportunities yeah. and crosses. He made some really good decisions. So what's happening now is they're like, here's a brilliant young player who has end product, who makes really good decisions. He's the key danger. And I think this is the thing I don't... The space that Martinelli was drawing did not get fully exploited by his teammates, if I'm going to be slightly critical of Arsenal. I just mm. think that he drew so much coverage. Arsenal could have been slightly better when, when he popped the ball into the central, in central areas. I thought they could have been a little bit more aggressive in the central areas. And I talk about crashing the box the whole time. It's a cliche almost at this point. But I just feel like Arsenal could have been a little more ambitious with their movement yeah, in and around the penalty area. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Just and because, this is, and this is, yeah. this is the game. This is the game that you see actually how vital Gabriel Jesus is, not from a goal scoring yes. point of view. But if you look at the pass map, there's just a, it's, he connects so many dots. But also, you just yes. there were a couple of times where I thought, yeah, some of these players are gonna are gonna get tired, and this is where you could really do you know one change in the whole game, and that was right back for right back. So, but I think. By the end of the season, both teams will look back at that point. I think it's a pretty good point. Look, um, Newcastle took a point off City at yeah. City. People forget that. That yeah. was a hell of a game and they had them spooked. So look, at this point, the way Newcastle are playing with their resilience and they've, you know, they've, they've recruited mm. expensively and they've spent pretty that well. money, they've become yeah. solid. They've become, they've become solid. They've, they've spent a lot of money. They've, they've become pretty solid. A point against Newcastle is a good result. Mm. And it um, shouldn't be one people agonise over too much. Uh, Avtanch Bihal said, can we please have some love for Kieran Tripper's leadership skills, underused by England and often and an often forgotten part of Newcastle transition? I think he was good. I think um, he was a major part of just working the ref quite hard, which I think is, is canny. You can tell he's mm. been around. You can tell, this is, this is Kieran Tripper at the moment, or in that game, I was like, now this is a man who spent some time at Letty. My God. Oh my God, yes. Kieran Trippier is the only good example of Rishi Sunak's proposal that everyone should do maths until 18 because that dude was doing some calculations throughout that whole game. <laughs> Who's on a yellow? Who is in? How many, how many seconds can we, how many seconds we, we can waste? How many, like, it, that dude was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know when you go to a restaurant yeah. and there's a massive order, and whoever's like whoever's waiting is basically doesn't write anything down. You're like, are you? Are they going to remember all of that? And they always kind of seem to. That's what Kieran. <laughs> that's what Kieran Tripper was doing in this game. But no, I, I, I don't that. think I he's. So um, I actually slightly disagree with this. I don't think he's been uh, a forgotten part of Newcastle's transition. Oh, he's all, a headline. Actually. He's a headline. Yeah. No, no, no. Uh, he was um, a cornerstone. A cornerstone of that. Yeah, I think, and he was he was the catalyst a lot. When I yeah. saw that, I was like, no, these people are serious. A signing like that was such a, it was a statement signing for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fine player. So that's the Premier League. We're recording this obviously ahead of Chelsea, Manchester City, but you lot will talk about that on Wrighty's House. Um, we will. 
There was some horrible stuff in Serie A. Uh, Samuel and Titi subjected to racist chants from Lazio fans during Lecce's 2-1 win over Lazio. Um, and he kind of broke down at full time, which was just fucking horrible to see. Awful. And Titi's been through it the last few years. He's man. really, he He's really has, man. That was a player who was guaranteed greatness if his body hadn't failed him. Mm. Long-term successor to Gerard Piquet in the Barcelona defence. Mm. And his body gave up on him. It's so upsetting for him. And, and, and these chants as well. It's just, we saw it happen to Vinicius against um, uh, Valladolid the other day as well. Walking off with the yeah. monkey chants Again. like a huge Again. section of the fans. Awful, yeah. awful, awful. On the pitch, uh, you mentioned Inter's win over Napoli. Napoli's first defeat of the season. Very impressive Inter. This, Inter was, the, good, this yeah. was the Inter of, this was like the title winning Inter of two years ago. And the way they handled Napoli was so interesting. I actually thought, and I wrote this on Twitter just very briefly, I was like, I think Spalletti blinks. He mm. takes off uh, Quaret Scalia, uh, brings on Elmas and a couple of others. I don't think he was right to take off Quaret Scalia. I think that Quaret Scalia was drawing so much coverage that Napoli weren't exploiting it. And they didn't, they didn't hammer the ball through the gaps. I think there was actually a little bit more room in the inter midfield than they were exploiting. I think Zielinski was a little bit too conservative with his passing in the first half in particular. I think a little bit too conservative. And that gave Inter uh, courage. And mm. But for two, if I'm being honest, two bad misses from, from Romelu Lukaku in the first half. Should have been one Nilton up in the first half. Damian with a really bad miss as well, putting it over from close range. Inter really created a high quality of chance. Mm. They created two or three really good opportunities in the first half. And they, let's talk about Napoli, about oh, they've really got one way to play. Well, first, they don't entirely agree. They're not like a one-trick pony. Like they're just a smart team that moves the ball really well. And also, because they move the ball so well and play so high up, they will give you a chance in behind. And that's the poison they've picked. I will say this though, Kim's passing it's absolutely spectacular. So Can good, I just man. say, it's a bit, of a, a bit of a niche thing to say, but please, if you get a moment to watch the way that Kim plays out from the back against Napoli, it is thrilling. There's a couple of passes in that first half. I'm like, that was like Tony Cruz. Like if Tony Cruz had watched some of that, he'd be proud of that. There's one pass he hits, a curving ball outside of the right foot that like basically like misses out a man and ends up on the right flank. And I was just like, oh my God, this is like science fiction. And the thing about the World Cup is, shout out to so many players who come back to the World Cup who were brilliant in that tournament and have come back and continued that form. Mm. They come off the plane and they're absolutely locked in and he's one of them. But oh, I think yeah. actually, you know, that what I'll say about this is so there's some bad misses by um, Inter, but Ed and Dzeko just coming in and scoring a crashing header at the near post that settles this game. And it's the kind of victory where you look at it and think, you know what? Napoli like five points ahead. Um, Milan had a two-one with no Salernitana. Plenty of football still to play. Into our back in the mix in a very real way. Juve creeping up Before as well. Like they this. had a 90th-minute goal from Milik. So they've won a ton on the bounce now as well. I mean, it's Cremonese, but still they've won a ton of games mm -hmm. on the bounce. There are teams creeping back into the mix. Atalanta game was good as well. Yeah, was it? Was it yeah, Tool? Man. Tool is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tool, so yes, yeah. yeah, really exciting football. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Copa del Rey this week as well. Antoine Griezmann rocked up to Oviedo with pink hair and Atleti beat them 2-0. <laughs> uh, there's a wild game between Barcelona and Intercity uh, <laughs> which Barcelona ended up winning uh, in extra time. 4-3, yeah. Hell of a game. Hell of a game. Oriol Soldevilla, former Barcelona La Masia graduate, came and haunted his old club with a hat-trick. And Barca brought on everyone. 
Like yeah, Ansu Fati, Gavi yeah. in the mix. They started with a really strong team yeah. and they brought in big reinforcements. Intercity, I think they're like in the relegation zone in the third division. So mm. their fans must be thinking, hang on a minute, like if you can do that against Barca, you shouldn't be where you are now. And Usman Dembele is going to be in a quiz question at some point because the man played in the World Cup final, got subbed after 40 minutes. And then straight after that, his next game for Barca or his, I think, second game since the World Cup. And he's playing against a third division side and playing brilliantly. But like, talk about a span of footballing experiences. It's one of the best yeah. weekends in men's Spanish football. Oh, not weekends, weeks. Like that round of 32 for the Copa del Rey is always well fun. And then in between that, the derby, the local derby as well. Exactly. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last but not least, shout out to Lance and an outstanding win over PSG. Oh, yeah. A 3-1 win over PSG that was brilliant. And actually, like, they deserve that spotlight so much because that's the first PSG league defeat of the season. Lance are back in the mix, playing with high energy. Like we, That quote we always come back to when Pochettino said, he was really struck by the physicality, not the physicality, but the physical intensity of the of, of a Liga. Mm. Lance just absolutely showed they, they've been good against PSG the last couple of years had a big win over them a couple of years ago huge win um, straight after the break and looking dangerous so yeah shout out to them a great great win and a team to keep an eye on very much so definitely um, um, actually on, on a PSG note on a Go PSG on. just off the field love to see Hakimi and Mbappe living up in New York you see that picture incognito of them, uh, when they were they were stood in the background there's an H&M sign yeah, that Hakimi. Oh, I love that so much. Hakimi's like supreme balaclava. It was a big mood. That is an early contender for big mood. Yeah, very good. Uh, a few questions to finish off because they are all essentially yeah, sure. asked the same thing. Emily Oram, what are your hopes and fears for football in 2023? Anunande, do either of you have any football chaos wishes you'd like to see fulfilled during the second half of the season? And Zach Pakleb, do you have any New Year's resolutions, football resolutions? I just want teams that play attacking football to be rewarded with the, with the biggest prizes. Whether it's the Champions League, whether it's WSL, uh, Women's Champions League, I want the teams that go for it to get the trophies. And that sounds like a, a trite thing to say, but you watch Argentina at that World Cup and I'm struck again by the guts they had. Mm. The gut, when it came down to Argentina, they did grind out some games, but they played football, they kept playing football, they kept creating chances. And I just want the, play, I want the teams that win this year to, to be teams you look at and go, yeah, you know, when they were under pressure, they, they went to a high level. They created stuff. They didn't just sit and counter. But I, like, I want teams like Napoli to like, to get the just desserts. I mean, that, um, that would be such a run for Serie A yeah. if Napoli win the league. Yeah. Be four oh, different wow. winners in yeah. four years, right? Love to see that. Love to see that. Um, I mean, yeah. Hmm. I'd like to see some more I'd like to see another Jose moment, like a big one. Mm. To point about fears, I mean, look, the sums of money being thrown around in football yeah, it's bizarre. can just have such, such a destabilizing effect. So that is a fear that that just continues to destabilize football. At the same time, though, you look at what Brighton are doing. Mm. You look at what Brighton are doing, like superb recruitment, outstanding recruitment. And they're showing that actually there are margins where you can still flourish. Shout out to them. I just, and you know, a fear, of course, a typical fear is, like, of course, I'm concerned about Alexis McAllister going off after this season. He's been so good. No one had begrudged me a big money move and he's a brilliant, brilliant player. It's just a concern when you see like someone, Enzo Fernandez at Benfica, 
and has an incredible World Cup. And like, listen, on a personal level, delighted for him because it looks like he'll get a big move. But just the way that like, the way that brilliant teams get pulled apart so fast. Benfica yeah. just so exciting. Yeah, that's, and that's, it's not a fear, it's just an ongoing lament, I would and say. And the amount of money that is flying around for, for players who have really not had that many senior appearances. Um, Anthony, Anthony, like Anthony, a hundred million. And that fee, the fee was too much at the time. And you look at that, and you look at like Enzo Fernandez, you're looking at like a hundred million. These figures are just. But even like the Mudrick thing with Arsenal, like, you know, 80 million is too much for that player. At the yeah, moment. Yeah, and I, like, and, a and I think Arsenal needs to be careful here because any time they've really gone that high was for Nicola Pepe and it just, it meant that every single, it also doesn't, doesn't give the footballer a lot of wiggle room unless you're someone like, no. I mean, you've seen over the last few years, young players that have moved for big money, let's say, Jao Felix, Jadon Sancho, Anthony so far, when it starts getting to, when it starts approaching 80 plus million, unless you are like, a Holland who is a bit of a unicorn and you know that you're going to deliver on a certain fundamental mm. thing which is scoring goals it's it feels like a massive thing to have like, and have the scary thing you. about the Jao Felix signing is the Jao Felix signing I looked at that and I was like I really hope this works but I can see a thousand reasons why it won't and almost every single one of those reasons has manifested it's just been but there was that moment yeah where it really looked like it was about to to, to land, and then it's yeah. But it should, but it should. The margin should not have been that close. He uh, should have come in, and it should, should. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's another story. Um, that's another story. I mean, fears. I'm just worried that Infantino will find some way to outdo himself yet further. Like, you know, you're bringing Salt Bay on the pitch at a World Cup, and then you're like being accused of taking selfies, you know, over Pele's coffin, and the fact is. Whether you yeah. did or not, it's the fact that it's plausible. I just and the whole, worry like, about naming, that. asking everyone to name a country, a stadium in their country after Pele. It's not coming from a horrible place, but it's like, why? But yeah, I don't know, man. My main football resolution for this year is that you don't get bored of doing this podcast with me. How's that? I want to wrap up on. Musa doesn't leave me like a for a big money <laughs> that, move. <laughs> that horse, that, that horse is bolted. Who else will have me? Am I going to have to? Have, <laughs> am I going to? Have, I, my, yeah, my New Year's resolution, footballing resolution, is that I don't have to write one of those like Instagram statements, being like, uh, "It was a pleasure working with Moose over the last three years, and I wish him all the best for his future." Do you know what's going to happen? I'm going to go and do a big interview with Piers Morgan, <laughs> touting my wares, and I won't, I won't get a big money move anywhere else. I'll find no takers. <laughs> After, after two months, I'll come crawling back. Musa Kong was unable to find a Champions League podcast. It would take him. Musa <laughs> started his own streaming channel called Miss Info Wars. What's that about? Miss Info Wars. <laughs> All right, let's Don't get worry, out of here. I never, get, I, ne- I never get tired of it, Ryan. Never get tired of it. Well, you say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's nice to be back. Felt a bit rusty. But, uh, you know, we're getting there. Got to shake off the yes, yes. The, the turn of the year rust. We hope everyone's staying safe, staying well, um, getting back into the swing of things this new year. Uh, don't forget to check Wright's House on Friday. Stadio will be back on Monday along with Counterpressed, I think. And yeah, check theringer.com forward slash soccer and check the Stadio Outros playlist on Spotify. Speaking of which, playing out on Chinko Crete by Mutant Beat Dance. 
anything you would like to add, Musa Okwonga? Nothing further. All right, then. Have a lovely weekend, everyone. We'll be back with you on Monday.